This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Okay, this is going to be a fun one today because sitting across from me at the table here in Colorado is Jennifer Glanville. She is a brewer and the director of brewing operations at Boston Beer, who you probably know as Sam Adams, uh, which is great. And first of all, thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm excited. It did cut my ski day a little short, but I got to be honest, the quads are burning, so it's good timing. I I apologize for that, but thank you so much. Um, I'm going to, uh, just before we jump into this, uh, because we're People are listening now, and people are sort of into what we're doing, and so we've, we've gotten some sponsors, which is kind of fun. Uh, and so, as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and dedication to their customers' craft. For 25 years, G&D has led the way on innovative solutions that match their brewing customers' immediate and future needs. With a wide selection of custom-built chillers, G&D offers the Nano Chiller, the perfect solution for nano breweries, all the way up to their large capacity units like the Vertical Air Chiller, built for higher volume operations. Contact G&D Chillers today uh, for your chiller sizing needs at 1-800-555-0973 or reach out online at gdchillers.com. And this episode is also brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, who invites you to attend HomebrewCon this June 27th to June 29th in Providence, Rhode Island, which is just down the road that from you, Jennifer, in, in, in Boston there. Um, so what's going on in Boston? What's going on with Sam Adams these days? What's, like, where... Everybody knows Boston Lager. Uh, you guys got into the New England IPA mm-hmm. uh, thing uh, what, two years ago now, and yeah. Sam Seventy Six is is like doing really it's well, doing really well, yeah. Um, which is kind of how do you describe Sam Seventy Six? It's interesting because when we first were working on it, the idea that Jim Cook, our, our founder and brewer, had was, you know, let's take the best attributes we know from both beers. And bring them together. And that was the assignment. Yeah. No no other instructions, right? And Jim likes us to experiment a lot. So, you know, we, we came up with this beer um, after many, many, many trials that we felt represented the, the best parts of of ales that we like, that fruity estuary character, that kind of little bit of a lighter note, and then that smooth finish of a lager. And it was really interesting to try to describe it even internally to our company. Because right? it's not a Kolsch, right? It's not. And it's not a hybrid... I mean, at the end of the day, if you really think about it, we're, we're blending two beers together. So it's sort of, I wouldn't call it croisoning, but it's, yeah. you know, along those more traditional lines. And um, I actually just, when people ask me, I'm like, what do you think about Sam 76? I said, it's crushable craft. Yeah. I said, do you want to have some really delicious, full flavored craft beer that you can have several of at a ball game or, you know, watching the game. I know everyone's going to be watching football this weekend. So, you know. This isn't airing for like weeks. So, <laughs> you know, nobody okay. knows that you're talking about the Patriots. All right. And well, I was fine. talking about all football. But, uh-huh. Um, maybe a little Patriots. Yeah, maybe as you're wearing the Patriots hat. Yeah. It's, just for warmth. Yeah, uh-huh. Just, for, just warmth. for warmth. Yeah. But I think it's the point of the everybody today. I mean, the craft, we all know we talk about this a lot. You guys talk about it a lot, too, where the craft beer drinker has evolved so much that – they actually know what they're looking for. I love it when I'm visiting a tap room, I'm just sitting there ordering a beer and someone says, what hops are in this? You know, that didn't happen even 10 years ago no. where a consumer, a drinker would say, what hops are and actually understand what those 
what that meant. So, you know, to be able to make beers like Sam 76, where we could go into a really detailed explanation, but at the end of the day, it's a really great full flavored craft beer. And it's, it's been awesome. The feedback's been great. What I find interesting, and, and you're right, it's crushable in, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, for me, when I first had it, it was like, oh, this is a beer that I'll have in an airport, you know, because it's going to be reliable. It's not going to weigh you down. It's, uh, it's just kind of one of those things where it's, it's the right situation, you know, for, for that right mm-hmm. beer. Um, and you guys, I, I, how many beers does Sam Adams put out every year? So for the nation, yeah. you know, nationally, we put out you know, more than 20. So it could be between 25 and 30 because we like to do the, you know, everybody likes the mix packs with the our seasonals, pack, yeah. that, the, the overlays that we put in there. But I think, you know, at the brewery itself with our tap room, I mean, we were putting out all these experimental beers and things like Sam 76. We were able to try all that ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about the airport. It's funny. I had this experience years ago and this gentleman next to me, I didn't have anything Sam Adams on, didn't know where I worked. And he said, oh, you know, I'm going to have a Sam Adams Boston lager. I love that. That's like my airport commercial. beer. Yeah. And I, I, I literally was like, those are fighting words. What do you mean it's an airport beer? Like, this is an awesome beer. I've spent, you know, 17 years of my life brewing this beer. And you're going to tell me it's an airport beer. And so as the conversation goes, he still doesn't know where, what I do for a living. He said, you know, I travel. I'm a road warrior. I am on three weeks a month minimum. And every airport, I can have an awesome Boston lager. And I realized... You know, being an airport beer is actually a good thing because yeah. people will seek you out. And, yeah. And I think that's the cool thing you said about Sam 76. That's my preference too. Like if I'm flying, I don't really, I don't really want to drink a lot when I'm flying, but that layover, I'll have a beer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's, and it's the right beer for it. So 17 years at, at, at Sam Adams, um, how did you get to where you are? Like, like un- unpack this, like walk me through how you got to be where you are. I, I really think it was lucky at the time. I mean, now it seems like there's jobs constantly announced everywhere around the craft beer, beer industry. When I started, I didn't even know that was an option. I was applying for work. I had lost a job in a high-tech company in Boston, and it was kind of before all that people were going to lose their jobs, so I guess I got lucky in that way. And I applied for a job at at Sam Adams that listed everything at the brewery except for brewing. So I said, well, you know, I know most of that. Some of it I can kind of BS. All right, you know, I'm going to go into I'm going to apply for this. This is good. And, you know, John, you know a lot of the characters at the brewery. So it really came down to me and another brewer. And I remember Jim saying to me and David saying, you know, yeah, yeah, Jim Cook and and Dave Grinnell saying, we can teach you more about beer, but we can't teach all this other stuff that you have that because I didn't realize because we didn't talk about it. Like now people say, oh, craft beer is great for an occasion. Or did you have craft beer at your family? You know, Christmas, we were doing that in my family and I didn't even know that was a thing. Okay. So when I, when I realized like I loved beer and I started, um, it was awesome. And Jim cook again within a year said, I want to take you on hop selection. What do you think about that? You're really, you have a good palate. And I just was like, this is so great. And I said to my parents, you didn't tell me I could get a degree in brewing. And my parents were like, I don't think we knew and we're probably glad right now that we didn't. Yeah. But in hindsight, I think, you know, it's, it's funny to think back about almost 20 years ago where the craft beer industry was today and the opportunities that are available today. So this was your first brewing job. It was my first brewing job. That's amazing. I went to um, Hop Selection with Jim and then that was a year in and then a year and a half in, I went to Dolman's in Germany for my um, brewing certification class and came back and... It was, I just didn't know you could have such an awesome job, you know, and I've had it now for all, all these years. And it's, I mean, we're making something that people love mm-hmm. and people loved it 20 years ago, Yeah, but they didn't even know why they loved it. And now to me, like I said, with people knowing what hops they are, they can articulate I mean, it. Yeah. I mean, being here at big beers or, or being at any beer festival, talking to people about beer, 
is exciting. I mean, how many people from work get to do that? Sure. You know, if you're a consultant or an auditor, people don't want to care about your auditing after work, yeah, right? Also true. Yeah. I love talking about beer, so it works out great. You, you mentioned hop selection, which I, so you guys still go to Germany every year for hop selection. And I think in the U.S. we're so sort of focused on uh, the Pacific Northwest of Yakima and, you know, it, it, you see all the, the Instagram posts from brewers, you know, hanging out and, you know, looking at Citra Mosaic and, you know, everything else that, that, that's being grown and cascade and et cetera. Um, but it, there is such a still an evolving uh, rich tradition of German hops. And I don't know if they get the, the general love that they really should. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I started my first trip around hops and hop selection was in Germany. And the farms are so small there compared to the Northwest. Yeah. And seeing the hop, what it really showed me was watching the hop industry grow in the United States. And even though Jim was still selecting out in the Northwest as well, there weren't many brewers that were doing that either. And I'm like so proud when I see pictures on Instagram, I follow a bunch of you know breweries and they're out there. I mean, the hand selection of ingredients cannot be underrated. I mean, it's really important and it really helps you get to know your grower. So I think, you know, the whole thing with Germany was that Jim was able to revitalize Hallertal Middlefruit, which for us is an important hop. Yeah. Um, challenging to grow. Growers said, you know, Hey, we can grow these high alpha hops and sell them to American brewers. They're easier to grow. And Jim said, yeah, but I, these are the hops. And I remember bringing over kegs of Boston lager to serve on the farms and say, this is, this is where your hops are going. And they would literally hold up their glass and say Hallertau, you know, like, and that was awesome. I mean, to have those experiences where you get to know the growers. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you see that now though, so much more where people are getting that, not just the consumer wants to know where it's from as a, as a brewer, you want to know where your ingredients are coming from. What is it about Hallertau that you think contributes to Boston lager in general? Like, what do you look for as the brewer when you're out there in selection? Like what, what speaks to you? Yeah, I think, you know, doing this all these years and following Jim's lead and learning from Jim, I mean, he's an amazing mentor and, and I'm very fortunate that I was able to go to hop selection all these years and really realizing that we are actually selecting a lot of the same growers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what I love about working for, for Jim and Sam Adams is that we could just say, like, we know that these hops are great and we're choosing these hops. But Jim really wanted to dig in deeper because he, he said, I started to recognize all these same growers' names. So why are we selecting a lot of the same growers? What we realized was that they were picking a little bit, a few days later than the actual recommended picking time, in quotes. Interesting. And what we realized was that many years ago, when you were using whole hops, it was very important how the hop came off the vine. But if you left them on a few days later, that intensity and the quality was so much better, about, you know, could be three to five days, Yeah. that that's what we were looking for. So it wasn't a beauty contest. We didn't care if they weren't as bright green because we were we were interested in that quality and that intensity. So wait, would you, so you clip the vines and keep them on there for a couple of days or what was So what we realized was the growers were picking later, the ones we were always selecting. Okay. So there's a recommended picking time. They might say it's August 27th. Right. And we noticed all the growers we were selecting might be August 29th up to September 3rd. Now they're just doing that because based on how they staff on their farms, how they, you know, because they're picking by variety. So we actually did a trial. This was a really exciting and really fun time that we did this trial where we had growers pick. We picked several growers, and they picked at three different times, Hallertau, Middlefru, and we brewed a beer over in Germany and a pilot plant over there, and we tasted the beer, and we realized that the ones that were picked later were better. Yeah. And I just, I like that there's sort of no resting on the laurels. Like something like Boston Lager, it's been around, it's a great beer, 
I think most people would say it's a great sure. beer. I, I mean, it hits our reader surveys uh, at the for the best of every year. So yeah. But the fact that Jim said, I'm going to just keep going with this and see where we can go. So, and to have the buy-in from the growers, you know, our growers were willing to do this and it was frankly, probably a pain in their butt, right. To do this for us, but we have such a great relationship with them. And I, you know, building that over a gym over the past 30 years has been really important. So, you know, over there this year, it's just really exciting to be able to still do that. And, you know, we visit the growers and I just, that, that farm to table, everyone talks about now we've yeah. been doing it for decades and that it's kind of nice. It has a name, I guess, kind of now. Um, I'm going to stop right here for just a second because, uh, again, being as popular as we are these days, uh, I want to tell everybody that great beers are made from select ingredients. With BSG, you'll bring the world to your brew house with an unparalleled and diverse selection of ingredients from across the globe to just down the road. Their dedicated customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need in every step of the way. Let BSG be your supplier of choice for products essential to making great artisanal beverages so you can stay focused on your craft. For more information, visit them at bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact them at 1-800-374-2739. You mentioned farm to table. Um, you guys do a lot with food. I mean, you've, you've done, uh, and, and, and so full disclosure, um, in the latest book, uh, that, that I did this, uh, drink beer, think beer, um, I talk about one of your food beers, uh, that came out and, and routinely when I'm out and, and, and being asked like questions from, from folks, it's always, what's your favorite beer? And then I always get the, you know, like, what's the, the beer that you never want to have again? Do you know where I'm going with this? It, Maybe I want yeah. to hear it though. Uh, Burke in, Burke in a bottle. <laughs> Uh, grilled beef hearts, rosemary. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, you guys grilled beef hearts and put it in. And, and, you know, these days, like, you know, there's brewers who are like, oh man, that was timid and everything. But like, it just wasn't a great beer, but it was like this awesome, I, I, for, for my palate anyway, you know, I know you guys were, we're all excited about it, but like, you know, the, the tinny blood metallic, uh, you know, notes that I got off of it, but that's, that's the, that's the answer that I give when, mm -hmm. when, when I'm, when I'm asked these things. Um, and you know, I'm sorry. Um, but it, you guys do a whole lot of fun things with beer and food and you have for, for, for a long time. Um, one, walk me through that beer. Cause I don't know if I've ever actually like talk to anybody from the brewery about that. Like, why? Why did you do that? So, you know, for me, I know, really, there's a lot of whys. You know what I love about working for Jim Cook? It's really hard to get fired. You can work there a long time and mess a lot of stuff up and you're still in it. But, yeah. So, I, you know, I personally love um, food. I love working with chefs. And we had an opportunity to work with a chef and develop a beer around what they were interested in they were working on. So. Uh -huh the first one happened to be pretty aggressive in, in terms of um, polarizing for people. And that was the grilled beef hearts. And he was working a lot with beef hearts and he's obviously had owned several steakhouses. And so we thought, how do we incorporate that? I mean, you don't want metallic in beer. So how do we incorporate this into the beer? So I think, you know, we were proud of it from that point of view and it tasted and definitely had, it definitely had a metallic. Where did you add the, where did you add it? Like to the mash or did you dry we, hop with it? Like, we what put some you? in the mash yeah. and then, um, we put a little bit in the, um, in the dry hop just cause we thought, you know, we didn't want to blow why up. Not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? If you're doing beef hearts, you might as well go for it. I, yeah. mean, I remember they arrived. <laughs> go I mean, it was like yeah. emergency, you know, service. It came in this cooler with all these things that like keep cold. And, you know, I remember opening it and, and I was like, wow, this is aggressive even for me like yeah. you know 
Um, but I think subsequently what we've done beyond that was, you know, one, one chef we worked with wanted, was really into, you know, like bacon sourdough kind of sandwiches, right? So a BLT or something. So we just smoked rye, you know, so we, we've taken that or we did a grilled peach beer. So like working with chefs, you know, we can have those ideas ourselves from eating at restaurants, but to have a chef say, this is the exact flavor profile I want and you have to hit it. That's an awesome challenge. And we love that. And, you know, that doesn't really leave our brewery. It's typically served in our tap room, but to have that challenge from a chef that says, this is what I'm interested. These are the flavors. This is why I want them. They have no comments about the beer. They literally say, this is what I'm interested in. And we say, great, we're going to match that flavor. You you just got me thinking about something kind of totally different in that, I hear a lot about like, you know, toasted ingredients as it were, but there's not always a lot of grilled ingredients that go in. Cause I guess there's so many variables, right. That, that can go into it. But like, what have you found works when it comes to putting something on a grill and then putting it into a beer? To me, the, I love to grill out a lot year round. So and much to my family where I'm like, what do you think this would be in a beer? You know, Everybody I ask, you know, around my nieces and nephew, they're, they're not even drinking age yet. They're like, well, this could be good in a beer, you know, so sure. you just have to get everybody on board. Yeah. Just but enough, Aunt Jennifer. Let's talk about something right. else. That's yeah. right. But it's that that charred flavor, right? That that amazing flavor that you get depending on what the ingredients is. I remember having some charred pineapple. We grilled pineapple with some seafood one weekend and I came back and said, we have to do something with charred pineapple or grilled pineapple in a beer. And we ended up doing this black IPA with pineapple, which I'm not even, fruit beers would not be my first thing to go to. Yeah. It was awesome. And so I think that having that, that grill character, which you control, yeah. I mean, it can be more charred, it can be grilled, it can be smoked. And I, that adds a whole nuance that is not just from the malt. It, it really adds more layers of complexity, I think. I, I love smoked malts. I like experimenting with them. My favorite is to have them in there where no one even knows they're in there and they're adding those layers of flavor. Yeah. But to be able to work with grilled, which you really control that, it's – and we've done some crazy stuff at the brewery where we brought in a smoker. I was out there grilling – actually grilling malt on the smoker like extra because we wanted to get some more flavor from this guy who had these – wood timbers that came from this other area. So it's like, it's fun to experiment with that kind of stuff. And I think grilling adds a whole new layer of complexity. You guys have the nano brewery now at your Boston location. We do. Uh, And I mean, every time that I've been there and, you know, which was also not too long ago, um, there's always just some like really fun one-off beers. And you guys were always experimenting. I mean, I, I know in the early days of, of Boston beer, uh, you know, Jim was basically going through the style book and saying, let's brew, you know, one of each style. And then these days he's like, well, we brewed one of those in 1985. So it's nothing new to us. And it's, it's, it, it, it's great that like you've had that history. Um, but these days it, it, it seems like you have much more flexibility than you used to. And are you doing the nano just for, is it solely for R and D and then people get the benefit of drinking the beers when they're there. Um, are you just doing it for like screwing around fun and, you know, but I, 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 I'm just curious as to like your approach with that R and D. So almost 10 years ago now I had, we actually, I hired a brewer and he said, do you mind if I have, he was moving and he said, do you mind if I ship my homebrew system to the brewery just till I move into my place? I said, absolutely not. And it came and I said, oh, this is a good system. I was like, do you mind if we fire this up here and, you know, use it? And he said, yeah, I'm not going to be in my place for like, you know, a couple of months or my wife doesn't care, you know, whatever. Yeah. His wife probably wanted it out yeah, of Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was like, awesome. And it's got, you know, I was talking to Jim, it got us thinking like, why are we brewing everything on a 10 barrel system? We could do this because we love to experiment. Yes. And, you know, for us that 
is the way we have been doing this for a long time. I, I remember when I started, which is a long time ago for all purposes now, but not even that long ago compared to the company. And I would ask, like, well, what did we, we did this beer? I heard about it. And they said, like, yeah, we don't know. I don't know where the recipe is. So we were always experimenting, but maybe not that good at tracking. And I, I feel like we were ahead of our time with recipes in terms of, hey, we've already done that. Yeah. But we didn't talk about it. We didn't, who tasted it? Right. So yeah, now it's awesome. It? Right. If, if nobody checked into it on untapped, does it even exist? Does it exist? Yeah. Except that I just had that conversation with someone about you can you can check in and still look at me while you're talking to me. It's my favorite app app story. But the um, but what we do now is we have nano taps in the in our tap room. Yeah. So we have one barrel basically going in that we can um, sample people on that are just coming right out of the nano, which has been awesome. So we have the we have bright tanks in there right in the tap room. You can see them, and that's where all of our beer coming out of the nano will that we want people to taste will come out of. So how do you guys come up with ideas? Like, are there weekly meetings? Is it just, you know, like how do you brainstorm for these things? Yeah. So I think we're really lucky. We have a fully engaged group of brewers and, and I also firmly believe don't just look at brewers. Mm -hmm. You know, there are so many people who work at our brewery who have great ideas, who visit places or eat at different restaurants and have interesting ingredients. So I'm always telling people, if you have a cool ingredient or interesting ingredient or something bizarre, you're like, I don't even know what this was, bring it back to us yeah. because that could be something that could be interesting in a beer. And so we do have weekly meetings around this. We have the flexibility, which is amazing. You know, we're small but large, yeah. as we all know. Yeah. Um, and Jim the encourages second largest us. Craft in That's the right. Country. Jim yeah. encourages us to brew everything and anything. And the nano gives us that opportunity too. So we have the, you know, anybody in the building could say, I want to brew this beer and we'll, we'll brew it. Um, if you don't know how to make the recipe, we'll help with the recipe. And, you know, that gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of years down the road. If someone says, hey, what about the spice? We can say, hey, you know what? We use that because now we actually track everything. You know, so, hey, we used the spice before. Um, and that, that really helps you get ahead of some of these trends that are coming up. And you guys just opened up uh, Cincinnati, the brewery that you mm -hmm. guys have there, uh, to the public for, I guess, the first time, uh, more or less, like with the tap room and everything. Are you? Is there a nano in there as well? Is there a small system? There's a small system in there, a three hectoliter system in there. So they're brewing beers from there. And then they have some of the staples that you know we know people want. I mean, like Boston Lager is one of our highest sellers at our tap room in Boston, too. It's been great there. So I think people like to be at the home of where they're, where they're drinking. But um, that's been great. It's a beautiful tap room. So if anybody's out in Cincinnati, head over there. It's really nice. It's yeah, I want to go check spot. that out. Uh, Pennsylvania, is that going to happen, too? I don't know. Along 78? Yeah. I mean, I, okay. I think it's a lot of good brewing history there, so there you is. never know. Yeah. What was it beforehand? It was a... Uh, it was Stroh's. It was Stroh's beforehand, yeah. I remember when we were in there doing some due diligence before we took it over um, or bought it, The um, just seeing those fire-brewed kettles, which I wasn't drinking beer or really aware at the time, but that was their big campaign at the time. Yeah. And um, fire brewed as opposed to, you know, cold filtered and yeah, meeting all these people who had made that beer for like 30, 40 years and talking to them about it. And it was just really cool to, to kind of have that piece of history. Um, and I'd love to do something with those someday. I think that's really cool. So we talk about scaling up all the time. Uh, you know, home brewers are doing five gallon batches and somebody, you know, they go pro and suddenly it's you know seven barrels. Uh, you know, would you guys scale up? I mean, that's, that's about as big as it gets. Uh, scaling up wise, how do you, how do you approach that? I mean, you know, I mean, brewing software will help, but like it, it's, there's so much nuance that goes into, you know, just because you can scale up and just because a, a spreadsheet tells you that this is what you should do does not mean that the final product of, you know, a large scale brew 
is going to have the same sort of soul or feel as your original Nano. Yeah, I think nuance is exactly the word I was thinking when you first asked yeah. that. Um, when I work with our, we have the Brewing the American Dream program. Mm -hmm. we, we, I work a lot with brewers. It's a um, program where we provide um, micro lending and then uh, coaching and mentoring to food and beverage entrepreneurs. I specifically focus on brewers. That is the number one question I get. And it's, it's about the nuance and knowing your brew house and knowing your recipe because it's never one-to-one. -one. You're not just scaling up exactly what that is. You have to know your brew house characteristics and it takes time. We obviously know our brew houses, so when we're scaling up, it doesn't mean it's perfect every time, but we, we have a general good sense of how we need to scale up depending on ingredients. We've certainly used unique and different ingredients, and scaling up has taken some time. Uh, for example, we, we I say we, me, decided to use, I wish I could throw the blame on many other people, but <laughs> yeah. I'm the only one in this room, so I'll take it. Um, and this is why I know you can't get fired by Jim Cook. I um, was really excited to use Heather Honey in our Honey Porter. Do you remember Honey Porter we used to make years yeah. ago? And I don't know, I was at some store and I found this Heather Honey from Scotland. And I said, How expensive was Heather that? Honey is awesome. Like, this is so much better. Yeah. It adds so much more flavor. It has that floral character. Uh huh. And it's like $50 for three ounces. It, it's not that cheap. But also, <laughs> I just decided we were already brewing at the larger scale. So I was like, You guys, we're going to throw this in there instead. <laughs> And uh, I got a call and they said, yeah, it arrived. It's great. Tastes great. You know, and then we put it in the beer and uh, I, I'm not sure you're going to like this. And the floral characteristics that you tasted in, in the jar or even in when it came in, you know, to the brewery were very low key compared to how they came out in the brew. Oh, wow. And it would like blast your head off with floral character. And I was like, okay, well, this clearly is not going to work. And so, you know, we had to readjust the recipe and, and learn about an ingredient. And it really got me thinking like, I know ingredients aren't the same, but between heather honey and like clover honey, was it really that difference? Yes, it turns yes. out huge. And I'm glad I learned that many, many years ago, but that was a great example where it's like, I was ready to go. I was like, yeah, I'm Let's having them shipped. It. We're good. Let's do it. <laughs> and you just learn a lot. So scaling up really does take the nuance and the finesse of knowing your brew house and most importantly, knowing your recipe, because how do you want it to turn out at the end? You may make changes to, to scale it up because it's more efficient, tastes better, could be a variety of reasons, but you really have to think about that. So you have interactions with people all the time. You're out at uh, you know airports and talking to strangers. Um, what, what, <laughs> what are the what are the questions that? Like, like, what's the beer that you hear most often? People are most nostalgic for that they want to like bring back. There's one from a Sam Adams perspective. It's so funny to me how many people used to drink Golden Pilsner, which is a beer we made. I don't even know. This I don't one. even think I was 21 when it was out. I don't know, but um, it was a it was a real classic Pilsner style. But at that time, there weren't there were only imports really around yeah. Pilsners. So I, I will tell you that Pilsner's a style. I I just love that style. I'm excited when I see it. I love that I see more and more at tap rooms now. I think it's a really good style. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what we're drinking right now. Actually, it is what yeah. we're drinking right now, um, which is delicious. It's my perfect apres ski beer right now. Um, but it's it's a hard beer to make and it's challenging. But I I think that's something that I find really cool that that that's a style nobody really talks about it. I guess except for me. But IPAs still hot. Yeah. Everywhere you go, IPAs. Um, that's been a challenge for you guys, though. IPA has always been one of those beers that. Yeah, you know, I'm not here to throw yeah. dirt, but like Sam Adams, I mean, I think for a long time, it was Boston Lager, Boston Lager, and that you know, obviously, as your flagship, like you don't want to upset that cart. But then at some point, the world went crazy, and IPAs came to 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 rule the roost. And 
like we've seen IPAs come and go from Sam Adams. Like there's the Nitro one that I think was around for a minute and a half, um, you know. But I, I can't. And New England's out right now. But aside from that, like there's not a lot of IPAs that I can even think back in my memory of that you guys made. Yeah, it, before I started, we made Oregon IPA. Oh sure, at the old uh, right. yeah. And out in Washington State, which is quite popular. Um, so I do find it interesting. People are like, you've never worked with American hops. You, you, you can't make an IPA. I'm like, well, we did have that, which was very popular at the time. Um, you know, when IPAs were be- becoming hot, it wasn't around that we didn't want to make them or couldn't make them. I think we were just focused on some other things at the time. I, I think for us, what's exciting as brewers is there's so many hops available now. Yeah. And those... Speaking personally, I can't speak for Jim or anybody else, but you know some of these beers that I like the West Coast IPAs. But you personally, I and you know me, I can have a lot of beers. I can only have one, like those, the dank, resinous, that big. Yeah. Because I have one, and I'm enjoying all that complexity, all that flavor. Two, I've now lost some of that just naturally because they're you know high in alcohol and they're and so, you know, I think what I love about the New England style and where IPAs are going is again to use the word nuance. It's it's more crafted around showcasing a lot of the hops years ago it was around just blasting hops which is still good sure <laughs> but now it's a lot around a little more of the the delicacy and the flavor contributions from hops so i just working for jim for all these years i mean that's something we've always focused on are a lot of those flavors so i think that's what's been important to us so it's 2019 we're uh, 11 days into the new year here uh, so we're recording at uh, big beers belgians and barley wines the festival that every year uh, for at least all the years that I've been coming out and that I've seen you here, uh, Triple Bach makes an appearance, which is super exciting for the people who want to, uh, you know, get a little yeah. umami tootsie roll thing going on. Uh, and beer is just so much fun; it just keeps getting better. Uh, and you usually pour Utopias as well. And so, 2019 is a Utopias year, allegedly. Okay. Well, I mean, if if yes. we go by the every if two we year go by calendar, every two years. I'm not I asking know. you to like give up states. I'm stuff, not I, asking you to give up state <laughs> secrets, but that is one of those beers that gets, I mean, like, like that is one of the ultimate hype beers in a lot of ways. Like, and people are excited about it. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I have a, a, a couple of bottles from, from, from years past that I've gotten as media samples, uh, and I keep them out of the house. And so anytime anybody comes over for the first time, they're like, Oh my God, your dope is like, and that's what everybody gets excited about. It's like, let's open them and like have them. And, and people get really excited. It's also one of those beers that as a, a, as a beer judge, I immediately know it. Like there's no mistaking what that is. Like, you know, if, if we're judging strong beers or, you know, barrel or, or whatever, that beer tastes exactly like no other beer that's out there as you, as, as allegedly you head into a, a utopia's year, but let's talk about previous years. You've changed the recipe with each incarnation. Uh, you've used mm-hmm. different barrels. You've transferred, you know, there, how do you approach that brewing process? That, you know, that mixture process, like how, how long in advance, like, do you start, you know, so let's use two years ago, so I, I'm not going to put you on the spot because, you know, I'll start getting emails from your PR team being like, you need to start <laughs> blocking out at, you know, minute 31. Um, uh, but, like, like, how do you, so two years ago when you did it, how did you approach it? Yeah, I think, so every year, I can't give you, I, can, I don't really care if I get in trouble okay, for, good. for this. Perfect. I love this beer so much. So and 2019's is, Utopias, it. here it is, folks. So I can't tell you what the final beer will be yet. Because the process really is around driving flavor, right? So 
if anyone's had it, you know it, it. You want it to be reminiscent of Utopia, so it's got to have a little bit of that kind of a little bit of that cloying sweet, like port kind of cognac kind of uh, mouthfeel and that sweetness. Um, but we do change the recipe every year, and it's not just to change the recipe. I mean, hops are um, actually rarely in a beer. Can you say this? Hops are a minimal contribution in this beer, so yeah. um, we do use a variety of hops, um, but. Uh, we're really focused. Aged, dried? What do you guys typically um, do? No, just in, in the kettle, we use okay. regular hops. Uh, I think the last one we had some, actually we had some Goldings in there and um, some German Noble hops in there. So Totally like, came through. You know, really low, yeah. low. <laughs> but we what we focused more in 2017's release around um, using some Cherrywood smoked malt. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a huge fan of smoked malts. I like Rauch beer. We don't want this to become that, but you won't ever taste that smokiness in the beer, but it will end up adding in some levels of flavor and that complexity that you want with a beer like this that's aging. So we look at every year as here is um, the bulk of the beer. So the bulk of the beer gets that two-year aging process, right, that we've had since the last release. And then we start dipping back in because we have all the stores left from up until 1994 when we had uh, Triple Buck. Sure. So now we start picking in like a master distiller would do for blending. We literally sit at a table, Jim Cook and several of us, the lucky few that get to taste through every barrel we have since 1993 is actually when trip 94 went into wood yeah. and we get to taste that. And that blend is that, and we have some different finishing barrels and we always know new finishing barrels we want from the last one. So we'll learn okay. from that. And then we might say, Hey, we love like the white Carcavelos barrels, the white port barrels. We've used those twice now. We know we like those. So we want to, we want to get those in. Um, and what's really great is when we're using those finishing barrels, we don't use them all. So we have finishing barrels now that are almost, you know, 15, 16 years old that Utopias has been aging in. So it's really every blend, Jesus. every vintage is a completely different release. Yeah. Definitely has what you expect from Utopias, but completely different. Yeah. 17 I liked. 15 was too hot when it came out, I thought. But like it was, yeah. You know what's interesting was 17 we actually ended up adding some of our Cosmic Mother Funk back in. Mm-hmm. And that was a mistake. Not a mistake, but Jim actually, as we do at the table, we had been tasting some different variations of Cosmic Mother Funk. Yeah. And he put that in the Utopias and it just added that light berry kind of note to it. Yeah. Um, so we put that in the 17 again. I think that that elevates it a little bit. It takes some of that slickness, that heat away, because a lot of it's, you know, it's it's hot. I mean, I mean, what does it clock in at ABV wise? We, like have, it, we have it clocked in at 30, but we tone it back to 28, 29 because it's too hot. Yeah. Once it gets over 30, it's or 30, it's it's too high. You're like it's that just slickness. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. We want those levels of, of flavor. So um the one that we're gonna be serving this weekend is like a favorite that I snuck away and it's Utopias has been aging on cherries. Nice. nice. So we'll have that. I think this we did weekend. that last year too, right? At Rare Beers, two years ago we had yeah. it. Yeah, so that's a that kind of a, we like to do. We've done it on nibs, cacao nibs, which is yeah. so. The thing with Utopia is it's very user friendly. You can, yeah, it can take it can take, it can take it. the abuse, especially after after the fact as well. Um, so all right, so if somebody has a bottle of Utopias at home right now, uh, and you know they haven't you know killed it, and they want to experiment by adding something to it, like one, do you recommend that? And then two, if you do recommend that, like how would you tell somebody to, to, to approach that? I mean, as a brewer, selfishly, I'd say I created that beer the sure. way I want you to drink it. Okay. Of course, I mean, that's my, yeah. I'll say that as my disclaimer. I think if you like certain things, you should experiment. I think the, the dry cherries came from me from like thinking about an old fashioned or Manhattan type of thing. So if you like that type of thing, I would, you could do that, but you don't want to take away 
from the actual flavors of the Utopia. So you have to keep it at sort of a minimal. You want the flavor to add to it, whatever you add in, the ingredient, yeah. but not take away from that true Utopia's taste. Um, well, hopefully this will be a Utopia's year then, and we can... Rumor has it it rumor, is, and I think you're going to be very has. happy with it. I, I would like to... We One of the best years we did was our 10-year anniversary, which we did the... Um, I remember that one. That was the blue bottle? Uh, Bluish, black. black. It was like yeah. blackish with yeah. that, and it had... Um, the uh, we had used some vintage rum barrels in it. Okay. From Nicaragua, which were just at, it was just a really interesting, flavor. super potent. Like we didn't use that many of the barrels. I think we got in twenty. We used two. Yeah. But it was just it's an amazing flavor. So I you know I think what's really great to me in the industry now is we used to have to really seek out barrels. Yeah. Now there's barrel brokers all over the world that are easy to you know get in touch with, and we you know that that's fun as a brewer. So where, where are you looking now? Like, where do you think is, you know, Jim often talks about white space, uh, you know, quite a bit. Like, where, where do you see brewing going right now that you want to embrace? I think there's a lot that we've learned from people's love of New England IPA style. Um, you know, you, you come out to Colorado even a couple of years ago. They don't want to call it New England. Could be for sports reasons, could not. Sure. But they'll call it East Coast IPA, right? Yeah. Um, but it, there's something so drinkable about it. And I think people are starting to appreciate that there's a range of alcohol you can have. Drinkable used to mean low alcohol, which some people don't want, but yeah. now there's this range of alcohol in these drinkable beers that are refreshing and wonderful to drink. So things like, you know, pale ales or looking at gozas. I mean, I, I love that. I see so many gozas around and, and they're being experimented with. It's not just your traditional goza, which I love that, but being re- experimented with different fruits or, or aging. And, and I love that. And I think that, I mean, I always say this and then it would never be a trend. This is why I'm not in marketing, I guess. <laughs> I'm in brewing, I'll just make beer. But I, I like that where it's, you know, I like to drink beer, but I also don't want to drink, you know, 8%, 9% beers all night, right? So right. there's this refreshing. Um, and so I think there's this aspect of this health phase everyone's going to. But let's bring it back to we all want to drink beer. Yeah. I'm not going to not drink beer. Yeah. I can be healthy in so many other ways. Beer is not going to be one of them. But what, you know, in moderation and what does that mean? So I think that's where you're going to see these trends where it's maybe dialing it back a little on the alcohol. I mean, beer has calories, so calories are calories, sure. pick and choose. Uh, but I, I see that, that. I think those styles are going to become more popular. Do you have a hope for beer? I hope that we continue with the momentum of the drinker where they are so interested and engaged I, I will tell you, I've been doing this long enough that the fact that you have all these engaged drinkers that actually really care and want to talk about beer is awesome. It used to only be homebrewers. You know, years, 20 years ago, the only people who would really talk to you about beer were homebrewers yeah. if they weren't in the industry. And now having all these great people, like we're going to see this weekend and people just so into beer, I love that. And I just um, hope that that continues and that folks are going to make the best beer possible. And when I coach, you know, my bring the American dream brewers. It's, you know, make the best beer possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be able to work for a gentleman who believes that mantra and that is our number one goal. Yeah. And I just think if we can continue making all of us the best beer possible and the drinkers keep staying interested, it, there's really no slowing down to this. I like it. Um, as we wrap up, I want to say thank you to our sponsors. G and D chillers are, is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. You can join the community of homebrewers at the American Homebrewers Association and bring the world to your brew house with select ingredients from BSG. Uh, Jennifer Glanville, Boston Beer. Uh, you can see Jennifer if you go to the brewery in Boston. You're yes. usually walking around. 
star of television commercials as well. Uh, I, I've seen you on, on some of those. It's like, oh, I know her. That's always fun. Um, is that always a weird thing, right? When people totally see weird. you, it was like Dean, right? Was always like, yeah. you know, the, the your bearded brewer that everybody knew. And uh, he was a, he's a major celebrity in Boston. It, it's funny because people will say, I've seen you. And I'm like, where? You know, because when you see yourself <laughs> yeah. on TV, it's right. never good. And, and right, when it's strangers saying it to you it's as well, like, I know you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But um, Dean and I laugh about it and you know now we've had more and more folks on these commercials and it's great but if you come by i'm especially after three i'm probably in the tap room so come by and say hi fantastic uh and that's the the one in boston that everybody should go to germania street in jamaica classic it's uh it's been there forever uh hope it's there for a lot longer uh listeners if you have questions for me guess you want to hear uh topics you'd like discussed you can reach out to me directly at john hall j-o-h-n-h-o-l-l at beerandbrewing.com or join the conversation on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Go to beerandbrewing.com there you can subscribe to the magazine, you can read up on homebrew recipes, you can find out about what's happening in the craft beer scene and brewers that we think are worthy of your time, attention, and your glass. Jennifer, thanks again. Thank you. It's We've been wonderful. been here at Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wines. Thank you to Laura Lodge and her entire staff uh, for having us up here this weekend. Uh, it's always just, it's a really fun fest. And if it hasn't been on your radar in the past, I hope Definitely, for yeah. 2020 uh, that, that you do it. And uh, you might drink some Triple Dock and, you know, some super secret utopias this or something. Year. Yeah, there it is. Uh, Jennifer, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you all. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.